Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you were always meant to be on. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the W-2 Prison Break Show. Thank you for tuning in every week. We really appreciate your support of the show. Today, we are going to be interviewing Nick Prefontaine. He is a speaker founder and CEO of Common Goal, a company that inspires and leads motivated people to their common goal. Their mission is to provide people with the support and tools to achieve their limitless potential. Now, Nick is a friend of mine. I've known him for several years. He has an amazing story. You definitely want to hear this. He's overcome some major challenges in his life and has really achieved his potential. I mean, his limitless potential, and he's still going. So grab a pen, grab a pad, and make sure you stay till the end because you do not want to miss this. Nick, welcome to the show. It's great to see you. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Brian, I'm so happy to be with you, and I'm excited to see what direction our conversation goes for your audience. Happy to help. Yeah, excellent. Well, speaking of seeing, for those of you that are listening, you need to head over to our YouTube channel at some point because Nick is a very colorful guy and he also has an amazing microphone. I just can't get over the different microphone colors that he uses. You got to see it. I have microphone envy, needless to say. Nick, all kidding aside though, really, this is going to be a great discussion. Give the listeners a little bit of a background on you. You've got a tremendous story and everyone really needs to hear it. I really believe that it's a tremendous and inspiring story. So give us a little background and go into your story if you could, please. I would love to. And you're actually one-upping me today, Brian, in your shirt there. I thought you were commenting on my shirt. It's gray-blue. So and you're wearing a very delightful shirt yourself. So I had to keep up. Again, you're a colorful guy. The shirt's amazing, <laughs> but I had to wear my hot pink shirt today. I mean, every this is everyone's going to come over to YouTube after this. They're going to want to see what's happening here. So Nick, without further ado, please. It looks great. It looks great. Yeah. I would love to go into detail a little bit. Whenever someone asks me for my kind of where I've started and where I began at, I will go back and I reflect back on when I was 14 and I was at ski club with my friends. Now, my friends and I had, we were snowboarders and it wasn't our first go around. So we had got ready on the bus so we wouldn't miss any precious time there when we got to the mountains. So we got there, everyone else migrated inside, but we were ready. So we headed right up to the top on the chairlift. Going up the chairlift, Brian, we actually noticed that people were wiping out everywhere and it was very icy, hmm. but that didn't phase us. Basically, everyone was talking about how you'd be insane. That'd be crazy if you went off, if you hit that big jump the biggest jump in the terrain park under these conditions. 
Now, Brian, I think you know me well enough by now. I take any kind of a slight like that, even though if it's not directed at me as a challenge. So I, of course, buckled into my snowboard, took a breath of that crisp winter air and confidently charged towards that jump with all my speed. But then going up to that jump, I caught the edge of my snowboard on the snow and I was forced to go off the jump. That was the last thing that I remember. Now, I was told, Brian, that I landed on my head and I wasn't wearing a helmet. The paramedics wanted to actually bring a helicopter in and life flight me to the hospital. However, they weren't able to because it was too windy. Out of the all the paramedics in the area, ambulance-wise, uh, there was only one that could intubate right in the spot. And because of the severity of my injury, I needed that to be able to breathe. And when you know it, he was one of the paramedics that showed up to the mountain that day. Now, there are several things about my accident that are like, that broke just right. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. That was one of them. (laughs) Then when I got to the hospital, the doctors came into my room while I was in a coma. And obviously, I learned this to third party. I have no clue any of this has happened. It's like a month of my life, literally a month of my life from February 5th to March 4th is gone. I don't remember. I have no memory of it whatsoever. So I was out and the doctors would, when I was in the ICU after my accident, would come into my room to share progress updates on how I was doing. And in the early going, it wasn't like these were good, positive updates every time. Each time they came into my room, my parents would grab them, would stop them and say, no, not in front of him because they didn't want me to hear what they were saying and the prognosis, because maybe you're aware of this, not sure if you are, but whenever you're going through something like a trauma or anything to do with where you land in the ER, the ICU, they have to, for liability reasons, give you worst case scenario. So they can't sell sunshine and rainbows, basically. So my parents stopped them, made them go outside. And then once outside, they told my parents that I probably wouldn't be able to walk, talk, or eat on my own again. Even if I was able to come out of my coma, which at that point, they were still unsure in the early stages, there was a good chance that I would need 24-hour care for the rest of my life. Uh, my parents didn't accept that though. They took the information, thanked the doctors, and then allowed me to treat it like any other situation. So remember, I was not aware of any of this. And I was not aware of any of this during my entire recovery. What they did was they allowed me to get up as soon as I could, as soon as I had my wits about me, that allowed me to get up and treat it like any other challenge that I had done up until that point in my life. So I got up, just kept taking my next step in front of me. And really, if you want to fast forward a little bit is after I came out of the coma and because it was a partially induced coma, it took me, I would say a week or so to get my wits about me. But that's why I always say February 5th to March 4th, because before that, anytime before that, I have no memory. I have very fuzzy memories of March 4th, but that's where the memories start to come back. However, once I was aware, I kept taking the next step. 
And then less than 60 days later, I ran out of the hospital. After running out of the hospital, because of the time that I had missed with school, I had to go in, still go into school. I wasn't able to work with my classmates because I had to get caught up. And to give you an idea, I was, God, I was starting from scratch. So I had to learn everything all over again. However, it came back quickly. It didn't take me like from toddler to 12 years old that amount of time, but I had to learn everything again. And it came back slowly. And then when I came back to school, I had to be tutored five days a week in order to graduate with my classmates. And usually how a day would look for the remainder of the school year after I got home was I would go in in the morning from usually 9 to 11, 1130, and I would work with that tutor one-on-one. Then I would go to lunch with my classmates, and that was something I really I relished because I loved being with my classmates, my friends and everything. Then my mom would pick me up and we go to outpatient therapy. So I had to do outpatient therapy for six months after I got home. Yeah. So then I will pause and take a breath there and see if you have any reflections or questions about that. I have so many, Nick, and I've heard the story before and there's always new ads to it, that stuff that I pick up that I didn't hear the first time. And it's just a great story of overcoming, right? Because you have this traumatic event that happened to you And when you came to, as you said, when you started to get your memory back, you kind of glanced over it, but you ran out of the hospital 60 days later. So the doctors are giving you kind of this doom and gloom scenario that you are never going to walk, talk or eat again. Correct me if I have that incorrect. That's what they told you, right? Well, yeah, the beauty of what my parents did for me, and I was Mm -hmm. fortunate that I had the parents and the family that I did, but they didn't allow any of that noise if you will, to get into me. So I didn't know any of that. I just thought, oh, okay, well, I had a little thing, a little speed bump happen. I have to just do the work and then I'll be able to go home. Right. So your parents, amazing people, really set the tone early for you to achieve what, you know, a lot of people hearing this story or the doctors are telling you like, there's no way that guy ran out of the hospital, but you did and you continued to work. So What was it about? Did you have like a certain mindset? I mean, I assume it was difficult. I have to assume it was challenging for you. But how did you overcome in addition to the support of your family? Like, what was your mindset like during this whole time of getting your life back to normal? It's interesting. There was a period in March, I can't even tell you when it was, but it was in March early on in my recovery. I was still in a wheelchair And I was in between therapies because I would get up in the morning and I would need help with my physical therapist helping me learn how to shower again and get ready and take care of myself. And then I would have sessions of physical, occupational, and speech therapy. And then I would break for lunch. And it was at one of these lunches that I was in a wheelchair and I was looking over my situation. I couldn't really figure it out. And I looked at my mom, who was right next to me. She was with me every day. And that was another very important part, too. I had that advocate with me at all times. But I said, am I ever going to be able to walk again? And she didn't even hesitate. She said, of course you are. That's what we're doing here. So you can get everything back and we can go back home. So there was that. I'm not going to pretend like I'm Superman, Brian. There was that moment of doubt. That I had. And I always like to share that with people because 
we all get it. We all get moments of doubt. But the most important thing is how you react after that. So you keep going. How I treated every day was just get up, whether I'm talking literally or figuratively, if I was still in a wheelchair, get up, take my next step every day. And my next step, I referred to that, my next step, meaning whatever the therapist asked me to do, whatever they told me to do was the next thing that I had to do, I would do. Yeah. You listen to the support of people around you. And, you know, I love the story. I love how you just overcame just such a challenging moment, right? It really could have gone a couple of different ways and you made choices and you had the right people around you, which leads us now to, you know, you're a speaker, you're a motivational speaker, Nick. So you go from, they're telling you, you might not ever be able to speak again. Now you're a motivational speaker. I mean, how's that for inspiration and overcoming? I mean, I just love that. I want to dive into that more for the listeners and then your inspiration to start with your new business, Common Goal. Sure. So I think it's much a part of my recovery as learning how to walk, talk, and eat again. I like to, as you learned, as I shared, I like to do things when people say that, "Ah, well, you probably shouldn't do that. That's what got me into that in the first place. So I like doing that really to prove to myself that I can do it. So one of those things was walking. So I was told, now I learned that I was told that, or it was said to my parents that I wasn't going to be able to walk, talk, or eat again. Since then, I've run in two half marathons, a 10-mile race, and a 10K recently, where I shaved 30 seconds off my per-mile time, even from what I was training at. So I just... I don't know, Brian, I just, I get a kick from doing those things that they say that I shouldn't or I can't. So now with Common Goal, what we teach is approaching life as a literal series of next steps with the first step, your first step being the most important than the next step. That's what we really teach. And that's what I think it's so important for all the listeners to learn is If you have a calling or a desire inside you, like you have a voice in the back of your head that you should be doing something. And I think the majority of the people out there have heard this voice. We've all heard this voice all our lives, but the majority of people either rationalize it away as no, 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 that's not realistic or that's not rational or I shouldn't do that or I can't do that because of X or I can't do that because of Y. Well, I've always had that voice in the back of my head all my life that I should be on stage telling my story. I should be, and that's what I'm doing now. And I should be, it's not being on stage telling my story. Yes, that's great. And it's able to impact and affect people, a lot of people at a mass scale. However, part of the motivation or one of the motivations of starting Common Goal is to work hand in hand with people who are going through a trauma themselves that are in crisis, that have some life challenge that they're dealing with, giving them the same strategies that I used to overcome not just my snowboarding accident, but several things throughout my life. I don't think we have enough time for that, but several things throughout my life. And what that is, is the step system. 
And unknowingly going through my accident, I utilized, and I've done it my whole life. And it wasn't until recently that I kind of uncovered this and discovered it. There is a system that I unknowingly use, and that's a step system. And I, since I really discovered this and really figured it out and drilled down into what I had on my hands or like what I had available as an asset, I view everything. I view my entire life through this lens of the step system. And because earlier this year, I've been able to distill this. Now, other people that are going through any trauma, life challenge, or crisis can use for themselves. And STEP is an acronym, Brian. So S of the STEP system is support. You have to make sure that you have the support of your family and friends right at the beginning. This frees up so much of your mental energy to focus on accomplishing your objective. Mm. And it might sound overly simplistic, but this very act of getting everyone on board at the start can save you hours and hours of actual time, worry, and frustration in the future. Next is T, and that stands for trust. Trust that the next step will make itself available to you as long as you take your first step. And this also starts with trusting yourself. So trusting yourself is the reason that I've been able to do that. And I've been able to take this action on this calling that I've had inside me for years is because I get quiet. I get quiet in the morning and I spend time doing meditation, getting myself centered. So I'm able to be my best all day long. And that leads right into the next letter, E, energy. And energy, if you don't have your energy, how can you affect a mass amount of people? How can you affect helping and change people's lives? You can't. So that's why it's so important for me right now to share with everyone that I spend that time in the morning, whether it's working out or meditating and doing Qigong just to get centered. So I'm able to be my best all day long. Then finally, P is persistence. Persistence. Once you've taken your first step, keep getting up every day and taking your next step, no matter how small. And then by continuing to move forward every day, do something every day towards your goal, whatever it is, you're building an unstoppable momentum. I don't know if that answered your question, but that was a mouthful. That answered my question. And then, you know, I have like 50 more after that. But like you said, we don't have enough time to go through all of that. But I love the step system. I was reading it earlier today. And the big takeaway for me, and you said it, was that it's a series of steps. Like you have something that you want to overcome, whether in your case and your clients, it's a traumatic experience. Or for a lot of the listeners who are trying to leave their job, you know, they have this goal, right? They have this goal to start a business or maybe change careers or something they're passionate about. And it just feels like this big, massive, deeply rooted tree that you got to hack down in one swing. And that keeps, I think, a lot of people frozen, trapped, and stuck versus what you just described, which is it's a series of steps. Like, hey, I have this big goal. It seems like a long way away. What's my next step? And that's what you lived and developed. Now you're helping people. I love the fact that you're giving back. I did have one question about your speaking, you know, getting on stage and telling your story, which is tremendous. Did you have any fears in the beginning or doubts? And if yes, how were you able to overcome those fears? 
There was something, I go back to the first, like the very first time that I spoke in front of an audience and that was at the Community Leadership Award Dinner for Franciscan Children's Hospital in 2005. So after I ran out of Franciscan, the rehab hospital, they welcomed me back and they honored me at their 2005 CLAD event, the Community Leadership Award Dinner, as the Profile and Courage recipient the award winner. So that was the first time that I actually got on stage and I spoke. And I don't know, it's hard to remember back to that. But I can say, and this might be a little selfish, but the feeling that I got doing that and seeing how I was able to affect and impact people, even at that young age, gosh, I think I was 15 or 16 years old at the time, seeing that the impact that I had in people's life made a lasting impression on me. And ever since then, I've always had that voice in the back of my head, always. Now, I've been, I would say for the last year, maybe a little more than that, since last April, I would say that voice has been silent because I've been following this path of following my calling and helping people that are going through trauma and being able to speak, being able to affect people from stage. So that voice has been silent since that time. I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was fear to circle back to your question, because I know none of that answered your question, but I'm 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 sure there was. I'm sure there was the first time I did it. And even to this day, whenever I'm speaking and I just, I'm preparing for a talk right now, a keynote that I'm giving at an upcoming event next month in about six weeks. And I just ran through it today with the stage direction and everything. And because I put in the time and the effort in the memorizing and the memorization process, when I get to go on stage, I'm really in a place of complete play because I'm not worried about what the words are because I've already done the work. So I've already done the work and I know that as long as I trust that the next sentence is going to pop into my head, which it always does, I'm going to be fine. And I think that way, preparing that way, which I've been doing that for the last couple of years has really been a savior because I think before it was, I would get on stage and I'd be nervous and my adrenaline would be high and I'd be up here. I could do it, but I think going through the memorization process like I am today puts me in a better position really to be of service and to have fun when I'm there. And that's what it's about. That's what it's all about. I love that you said, you know, you're in a place of play. I mean, I've seen the way you prepare, you know, we've done it together for other events. And, you know, now you're telling me you're taking it up a notch. So it's like, oh my goodness, you know, you must be like living and breathing and sleeping, uh, speaking, which is, I can't wait to see your next talk. It's almost like if you see, I make a lot of references to professional athletes. So I watch a lot of sports, but they're playing the game, right? They're playing the game. It looks easy. It looks simple, especially the high level achievers. You know, I talk about Tom Brady all the time because he just makes it look so effortless, but it's because of all the work that he puts in the preparation. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who are trying to accomplish a goal, this is not a step that you get to skip. Like if you want to 
quiet the little voice on your shoulder, this is something that is absolutely required. Nick, you mentioned, I want to talk about your morning routine because I'm a big believer in them. I think they're super important. I don't think enough people do them. Can you give us, you know, kind of 10,000 foot view, or if you want to go into detail, that's fine too, of what you do in the morning to set yourself up to be successful? Sure. And I've just, you know this, Brian, we've worked together in other ventures. I've been of the mindset of stacking and keep adding things, little things here and there, keep adding them where now my morning routine really sets me up for success. So I'll get up in the morning. I have a little Maltese. She's two. I'll walk her around the block to have her do her business. Then I'll come back and I'm either doing meditation and Qigong, which if I do that, uh, Qigong is a form of Tai Chi. I think Tai Chi is more mainstream that people know, Mm -hmm. but Qigong is a form of Tai Chi working with energy. That's really all it is. Low movements and energy. Like for example, I walk, I have a ball of energy that I hold and Mm -hmm. I like walk across the room as slow as I can. And I walk back as slow as I can. That's just one of the things. So either I do meditation Qigong and that usually lasts for anywhere from, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes or I'm doing running or a circuit workout, like a high intensity training. Mm -hmm. That's usually only lasting either one of those only lasting anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes, but it's just to get the juices flowing, get my energy up. Then I'm showering, of course, because I do shower. Then I have breakfast. And then after breakfast, I usually do, well, I can say this too. If I'm meditating or doing Qigong, I do it on a grounding mat, which if anyone's curious about that, go to earthing.com. They can pick up a grounding mat. That's amazing. Then after I have breakfast, I'm usually having coffee or tea and reading and writing in my journal for anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes. Usually it's closer to 60, like 45 to 60. Then it's time to go to work, time to start. Yeah. So that's a couple hours. It sounds like, right, Nick, that that you're taking in the morning. Okay. What are you? Yeah. Yeah. And it's all dedicated to yourself. You're not fooling around on your phone and checking emails and all that nonsense. Yeah. I don't have, I'm probably going to throw you for a loop here. I don't have email on my phone and I don't have Wi-Fi at my house. I don't have internet. Yeah. There's no reason for it. There's no reason for it. So the email thing, I did not throw me for a loop, the Wi-Fi a little bit. And I think a lot of people who are listening <laughs> and that's okay. I want you to, so why did you make that decision? I assume that at one point, maybe you had internet in your house. Well, I never had it. I used to for a few years. I used to, I had my parents that lived next to me for a few years and they had Wi-Fi. So I used to tap into theirs once in a while, but then when they moved, I didn't have Wi-Fi anymore. And I made a, even while they were there, Brian, I never used it. I don't have a smart TV. I don't like, there's no re- there's no reason for that. So it was a conscious decision not to go out and purchase Wi-Fi. Yeah. Every time I buy something and this might be going in a different direction, but every time I buy something, it's usually cheaper. If I were to get Wi-Fi, like for example, I bought a new Kindle last year. 
And if you have Wi-Fi, it's substantially more cheaper. It's like significantly more affordable. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nope, not doing it. Not going down that rabbit hole because so I just bought the 3G one, which means it's wirelessly connected all the time. And then it's so funny because my dad will ask me or my uncle or what friends or whatever, they'll ask me, oh, have you seen this show? Have you seen this show? Have you, have you seen this show? I'll look over, lean in, pat them on the knee and say, I don't have internet. <laughs> oh, I'm smiling because I love it. That's I did not know that you didn't have internet in your house, but you're right. I mean, you know, you don't really need it. You're filling the time and you got a lot to accomplish and your morning super active and busy and you know, you're crushing it every single day because of these things that you're doing. So take your email off the phone, folks, because you can't check it if it's not there. And it's a super big distraction. Okay, we went off on a little tangent there. That's okay. I learned something about it. Well, it's helpful. I think it's helpful, especially for people looking to leave the W-2 jobs. I do too, because if you ever look at how much, you ever look at the activity report on your phone and take it seriously, then you'll be blown away by how much time you're wasting staring at the damn screen. Excuse my French. I make a conscious decision not to look at my phone, usually for the first hour or two at least. And the only time I'm looking at it is to open my Sirius XM app so I can listen to music during there my morning go. routine. And I feel like just one more thing on that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I get the benefits behind Netflix and all. They have so many, so much great content, so many great shows and everything. But if I don't see the content, I'm not missing it. I'm not missing. I have plenty of content. I just have cable. I have plenty of content on there. So I don't. That's an interesting perspective. It's, it's You're a distraction. Not missing it. You're not missing it if you don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I think I might watch next less TV now after this episode. Nick, I don't watch a lot to begin with. And I definitely don't watch the news, but I think I might watch less because I'm a little inspired. So thank you. All right. Well, let's go back to to common goal. And you have people to help. And this is why you're inspired in the morning and and doing your routine and really focused, hyper-focused. What does your ideal client look like? How do you help them? I know you have the step system, but just talk a little bit more and then maybe direct the listeners to where they can learn more. Sure. So I think I can go back and point to one woman I helped. And I've always done this throughout my whole life. I've always been drawn to people that are in the midst of going through a challenge, going through a setback, and they need help getting through it and going to the other side. Hmm. Now, before I created and drilled down and really focused on what it was I did, I've always helped people to tell them exactly what I did, what they could do to get through it. There was one woman who had a stroke just a few years ago, and I met with her for lunch, I think, almost once every week or two. And I really, I kept her focus on her next steps and the only thing that she could control, which was her own actions. Now, whenever you're going through a trauma or anything like that, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of noise and a lot of confusion and it's easy to get bogged down. It's very hard to just see through to the other side and keep taking that next step. Then another person was a mutual acquaintance, Brian, I'm not going to say him by name, but 
you know, we actually, we had someone that recently passed away within our other community. Mm. I worked with his wife, we'll call her Patty, worked with Patty for, geez, over the course of almost a year, I would say, and helping her just control what she could and just continue to see her way through that darkness to continue to take the next step and just control what she could. Now, to most people, this would sound like, oh my gosh, that's like really heavy. I don't want to deal with that. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't know how you can deal with that. But for me to help people that are going through that, it almost gives me energy because I want to help them get through exactly something that I've already got through several times in my life. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I know that about you to be true and I believe it. I felt similarly in other situations where you're able to give back and even if it's just one person or a moment, right? It's mm -hmm. really satisfying to help someone and not have it be reciprocated, right? It's being unselfish. You, you mentioned, oh, I might sound selfish. It just makes me feel good. Well, there's no selfishness in that at all, I don't think. Yep. The lesson that you just gave everyone was when life comes at you, control what you can control. That's the lesson. You can't control all this outside stuff, the noise and, you know, whatever, however you want to word it, life happening to you. Mm -hmm. But you can control what you do. You can control how you feel when you wake up. You can control what you do when you wake up in the morning. You get to decide. You get to choose. No one else does. Don't let anyone ever take that power away from you. And I think that's the message that you're spreading to people. And I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You hit the nail on the head there. I think... If it's okay with you, Brian, I'd like to share with your listeners how they can download the free ebook step, which is going to teach them all about support, trust, energy, and persistence. If they go over to nickprefontaine.com forward slash step, and that'll help them get started on their first step today, they can sign up for the ebook right there and get it for free. And that's what I shared today was a high level, like a 10,000 foot view. However, this goes into detail and actually, and Brian knows you've read it, Brian. So it goes into detail and really breaks down each one of the letters, support, trust, energy, and persistence, and how you can apply that to your life. Absolutely. I did read it and I encourage you to go to nickprefontaine.com forward slash step and then grab that book. That's very generous of you. And absolutely, we will leave that in the show notes. Okay, I've got a couple of more things before we wrap up. I just want to, you know, you got this little voice that's gone away, you said, right? What's next for Nick? What's the next step for you? Do you have another, you know, big goal that you want to achieve that you could share with us? Gosh, Brian, I'm just starting. I feel like I've just begun. And I feel like in the future, in the future, I want to be taking stages all over the world, sharing the step system with the audiences. Also, what I'm doing now, and I'm in the process of doing it, is reaching out to organizations, associations, and hospitals that specifically deal with traumatic brain injury and offering a workshop because we've designed at Common Goal a workshop that we can go to these organizations, go to these hospitals, and it will help not only the patient, but it will also help the patient, their caregivers, 
So spouses and the staff of these hospitals that are going through it because everyone needs to be educated and on board at the beginning. That's a big thing of what we teach and what has worked for me. What I found to work in my life is to get the team and get everyone on board right at the start. Now, this is whether it's therapists, doctors, anyone, get them on board, share your common goal with them. So that's what we're doing by teaching this workshop, the step workshop with people. So we're going to speaking more, getting on more stages and sharing the step workshop with organizations and associations that deal with brain injury. I love it. I'm so glad I asked that question, you know, and that's the last one I'm going to ask you because I definitely see you speaking all over the world. And I love the mission to do the workshops for the hospitals for traumatic brain injury. That's great. Love it. All right. Thank you. Any final thoughts that you have before we wrap up? Give the link again for the book and then give me your final thought. Sure. It's, and I think it'll be in the show notes, but it's nickprefontaine.com forward slash step specifically for your audience, Brian, who are looking to leave their W-2s and whatever it's going to be, whatever their next thing is going to be for them, just start. That's my advice. So start. Whether it's like just doing one thing, it's just pulling up a search on your computer, just take one small step. It doesn't matter how small it is because once you take that first step, there will always be a next step and you just have to be on the lookout for it. And you just have to know that it's going to constantly be available to you as long as you take your first step. So don't become paralyzed. Do something, something, anything. Words of wisdom by Nick Prefontaine. I love it. I did use your last name. So you did. That's the last time. Hey, listen, in all seriousness, kidding aside, I really appreciate you sharing your story and your mission it's super important for the listeners to hear and it needs to be shared with the world. So continue on with the mission, my friend. It was just great having you. I really appreciate it. Everyone make it a great day. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out and please subscribe. Go to www.w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W-2 prison break. Here's to busting you out.